welcome to Estradial Illusions, which even though it is the 15th of January, this is actually our first episode of 2020 because uh, life has uh, a way of getting in the way of podcasting. And I said way twice and I was trying to search for an off ramp to use a different word, but uh, let's just get the uh, rust off of the uh, rails as we uh, talk about. We are going back to Westeros and I'm very excited. Before we do that, though, just a quick programming note. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, I am going to the Sundance Film Festival next week and part of the week after I bought a new mobile setup, which I'm still gradually learning. It's a huge pain in the ass learning how to figure out uh, how that kind of stuff gets uh, imported to an editable format. Uh, we're still figuring that out. But we'll have a lot of Sundance Spotlight mini episodes, which will be uh, featured with um, composers, director. I, I, it's, it's, I don't want to announce anybody because it's a state of influx, and I'm sure a lot of these PR people are trying to get bigger, better deals. And... Uh, They'll see how easy I am to deal with when they try that. <laughs> we'll have a uh, well, we'll have a lot of fun things coming your way. There'll be shorter episodes, but it'll be a lot of fun. But uh, I, that's that's the only programming uh, that I had to the way. And now, as I said, we are going to Westeros, and we're going to talk about. We've done two episodes on Stannis Baratheon, and everybody knows that Stannis uh, occupies a special place in my heart, but. For a show that covers LGBTQ issues a lot, another Baratheon also occupies a place in my heart. This is a point of, of a little uh, somewhat contradiction that we'll, we'll talk about a little later, but we're going to talk about Renly Baratheon, the great uh, charismatic figure of the Baratheon family. And with us to discuss Renly Baratheon, we have Sam, uh, fittingly, Sam of the Rainbow Guard, uh, who... Uh, as I imagine, is a big Renly fan, or else uh, he wouldn't have used uh, the Rainbow Garden's name. Sam, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? So, as you just said, my name is Sam. I'm, I'm the rain at the Rainbow Guard on Twitter. Uh, you may know me from there, but probably not. But come say hi. Um, I am an LGBT um, Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire fan. Um, and I tweet a lot about those those sort of issues within that world and within other fantasy worlds. Um, and yeah, I, I Renly was one of my first favorite characters when I first started watching the show, which I did um, before I read the books, unfortunately. So in a lot of ways, my Renly is very much show Renly. And then book Renly afterwards, you know what I mean? I already had a taste of that in there that has kind of colored my perspe perception of him, you know, going forward. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a, a character I love. And for all his faults, which are many, he's, he's, always, he's always been a favorite. So I'm really excited to talk about him today. I, I think that kind of applies to a lot of the characters. Uh, it's hard to think of Eddard Stark and not see Sean Bean or, yeah. uh, you know, Peter Dinklage, Tyrion, or uh, pretty much all of them. I mean, the the for all of its uh, faults for its final season, I mean, the casting of the show has always just been, been first rate. I can't actually think of the High Sparrow and not think about uh, Pope Francis and the actor <laughs> yeah. who... Yeah, Jonathan Price, right? Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan Price has now played them both, but uh, yeah. now that's got that 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 whole mix. But 
Brindley Brindley is uh, a character who I think not only not only do we uh, associate him a lot with his his show version, but but since the show made such a, a bigger deal out of him in the narrative, because Renly isn't really in the books all that much. Right. So that kind of uh, that that tends to sort of uh, shape the the lens through which we we view him. And uh, it's it's kind of a shame that they had to, the, that our time with him was so short because he really did in season two, which I don't know about you, but season two tends to be my favorite of the series. I really uh, Blackwater was such a phenomenal episode yes. and i really it's kind of like you know, game of uh, song of ice and fire as a series really you can uh kind of somewhat divvy up the aesthetic between uh pre-red wedding and post-red wedding that's kind of when a lot, a lot of things changed and not not to say that a clash of kings is happier times but it's certainly happier times for winterfell for house stark and uh really a lot of people's tennis yeah absolutely uh, season two has always been a big favorite of mine as well. Um, so Renly, uh, I wanted to start, uh, we've called this episode the Peaches of Renly Brathian, and that's largely because months and months and months ago, I decided, I kind of reverse engine, oftentimes you come up with a podcast idea and you say, uh, I want to do it based on this. This was something where I came up with the name of the podcast and then decided that, uh, it, well, it would be about Renly, but it was always going to be called The Peaches of Renly Brathian because I can't see a peach and not think about him. And then uh, that film Call Me By Your Name came out and uh, <laughs> Tim- <laughs> Tim- Timothy Chalamet, is that, is that how you pronounce his name? I think so. That's how I say it. I thought I was going to butcher it, and I think I got it right on the first time. Uh, <laughs> I kind of look at that film almost like a prequel, parallel Renly, because Timothy Chalamet kind of looks like him. He looks like the actor who played Renly, and uh, he's got that famous uh, scene with the peach, which uh, I saw that film with my mother, and boy, she was not pleased that oh, I no. took- Well... She always says, you know, I, every time I want to, uh, if there's a uh, LGBTQ themed uh, film back home, uh, she's like, well, take your father. I don't need to do this again. I saw, I saw, I sat with the peach. I sat to the peach with you. But we have, we have peaches, which are kind of like a really, really uh, enjoyable uh, metaphor that I, I think really not only applies to uh, a lot of things in A Song of Ice and Fire, but in life in general. So. We're going to read the passage from A Clash of Kings. And I don't think we've read, actually sat and really read any of the uh, passages from A Song of Ice and Fire since one of our really, really, really early episodes when we did that great uh, Women of Ice and Fire with uh, Chloe of Girls Gone Canon. So um, I figured I would bring it back because it's uh, such a fun, uh, fun little passage. So... I guess where will we start? We'll start. We'll start here. We'll start somewhat fittingly friendly. We'll say, Brenly's hand slid inside his cloak. Stannis saw and reached at once for the hilt of his sword, but before he could draw his steel, his brother produced dot 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 suspense a peach. Would you like one, brother? Renly asked, smiling. From Highgarden, you've never tasted anything so sweet. I promise you. He took a bite. Juice ran from the corner of his mouth. I did not come here to eat fruit. Stannis was fuming. My lords, Catelyn said. 
We ought to be hammering out the terms of an alliance, not trading taunts. A man should never refuse to taste a peach, Renly said as he tossed the stone away. He may never get the chance again. Life is short, Stannis. Remember what the Starks say. Winter is coming. He wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. Now, that is, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. And uh, there's some, there's some sexual imagery also with the juice running through his corner. He reaches in. It's, uh, what, what did you think when you first read that, Sam? Oh, man. <laughs> it really has become like the iconic Renly passage, hasn't it? But, you know, it makes sense because it's so, it's such a great, demonstration of who Renly is, right? Stannis assumes he's going for the sword. That's what a normal person would be doing. They'd be trying to threaten him, right? And no, Renly's just going to tease him. He's just going to make fun of him with this little his little peach gag. And I just love that about him. Yeah, he's he's certainly he's he's trolling his brother and uh I mean, we don't it's not clear if if Renly has ever actually fought anybody. Uh, he he's he's shown to be fairly bad at jousting and and that sure. kind of stuff. Uh, so, so Stannis is he's got his his guard and he's also just been embarrassed because they have the parlay on Storm's End. Uh, and Renly doesn't even leave to go until he's uh, known that Stannis is there, and which Stannis doesn't seem that angry about. He has Catelyn to talk about, and I mean I. I personally, I love Stannis a lot, but the dude is just a curmudgeon. And if I were his, <laughs> if I were his sibling or his friend, I would troll him. Well, he doesn't have any friends, but I would troll him too. <laughs> and it's, it's such a perfect, it's such a perfect moment because he, he doesn't, he, he seems to kind of recognize that his brother's taunting him, but it, in a lot of ways he's not because he's, he's almost also explaining to his brother why he's done this. Right. And uh, I wrote an article, I'll link to it in the uh, podcast description, but I wrote an article called Renly Baratheon Queer Icon, largely because I was kind of sick of the discourse that we uh, talk about, that, that we use to talk about Renly. It, it often starts off from a point that uh, I, I'd love to talk to you, Sam, about it. Uh, whether or not he did anything wrong when he said, gee, I want to be king. <laughs> I, right. I just... It's so accepted that that was a douchey thing to do. And yeah, I guess it kind of is. But let's remember, this is the War of the Five Kings. It's kind of a jump ball here. Yeah. And, you know, one of the interesting things, too, to think about uh, when you're looking at Renly and his decision to, you know, crown himself king and all of this is that when he decided he was going to vie for the crown, he didn't know that Stannis was the legitimate heir either. He didn't really get the whole Lannister incest thing until after Stannis published his letter. That was one of the things that really kind of stood out to me on my last reread. Um, so, you know, in some ways, it's at first, especially, it just seems like every man for himself. And, you know, the institution of this sort of, you know, uh, of just the primogeniture and all of that. I mean, that just the way this whole monarchy system works is automatically favoring straight men, right? It's, it's a, yep. it's a system that is going to mm. 
inherently push out someone like Renly, you know, and of, of course we see him, you know, work through that and he has his, his marriage to Marjorie and all of this to kind of, um, to prove that he can, you know, be what they think a king should be and have, have the wife and do all of these things and all of that. But, you know, there definitely does seem to be a, a queerness to Renly's decision to um, go for the throne. And that I think is really fascinating. You know, I mean, he has that speech to Catelyn about how, you know, it really is an absurd thing, the way we choose our monarchs, you know, firstborn sons are not automatically going to be the best rulers of any particular country, right? And so, you know, he, he says, why not, you know, look at other options? Why not try something different? And that in and of itself is a really, really queer idea, right? You're looking at different ways to explore um, these old traditions that aren't really working anymore. And that I think is what really draws me to Renly at his core is he is not afraid to ask the question and to push the boundary and to say, no, this isn't working. Why can't we do something else? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I, I think you've, uh, I think you're really onto something because I mean, even if you think about, you know, there's so many times that um, gay people in ju- specifically are, are are told no for, or they they can't do something uh, for no reason other than uh, that that it's not the way that things have been done. You take the arguments against gay marriage; nobody can really say why uh, gay marriage is a, is a threat to you know so-called traditional marriage but the idea of traditional marriage it doesn't doesn't really hold up any any it doesn't have any value as an argument other than this is the way we've always done it it's just and it's stupid and renly is renly's used to having to kind of circumvent uh the the status quo and I'm glad that you brought up the uh, fact that he didn't really know about the incest either, because in that same parlay, he's he's questioning his his brother's detective skills, uh, somewhat unfairly asking why he didn't go to Robert. Uh, I, I think from what we know of Robert Baratheon, it, it would have been uh, if if you went up to Robert and said, you know, your three children, the, the guy who's, who's fathered at least twenty bastards. Uh, to say that uh, all three of his uh, seemingly legitimate children uh, are not uh, are, are illegitimate, uh, I think he probably would have been pretty pissed off. And Stannis wasn't exactly wrong to go through John Aaron, who uh, even he can admit really that uh, Robert loved far more than he ever loved Stannis. The issue is, of course, uh, timing. And I've always wanted uh, to see a, a True Detective-style series of uh, Stannis and John Aaron going around to the brothels. Uh, that was <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a, like like Eddard's detective adventures in A Game of Thrones. I, I I really liked the aesthetic of that. We don't really see that in another. Uh, we have mysteries, obviously, tons of them, but. Uh, there's not really that one guy who's just laser focused on trying to figure out who did this and why. So Renly, Renly saw an opportunity. And uh, I, I think a lot of us uh, can sympathize with the fact that uh, we've been poorly served by traditional structure. And a lot of times it doesn't make any sense. Firstborn heir doesn't really make a lot of sense. Even uh, 
if you see uh, even a philosopher as revered as Plato, the philosopher king argument is pretty damn stupid. Yeah, absolutely. And, and another thing that I really like about Renly is that not only is he willing to take a step and, you know, go for these big opportunities he sees, but he's also willing to help and promote other people who are doing the same thing. I mean, you know, on, at first glance, maybe it looks like he didn't have to name Brienne or like he had to name Brienne rather, sorry, to his Kingsguard because she wins the melee. Right. Um, and, and he says, you know, you can have whatever you want of me basically, but you know, he didn't even have to let her compete in that. And plenty of Lords and Kings of Westeros would not even let Brienne get on that field as a woman. Right. And so he sees that he sees her doing what in some ways he's doing himself. She's putting her in herself into a situation that the rest of society is telling her, no, you are not allowed to be here. And she's saying that's stupid. That's where I need to be. And that's what he's doing with the kingship too. And so just the fact that he sees that in her and recognizes that and rewards it and does promote her to this unheard of kind of position for a woman is just really, really, really telling to me about who Rinley is as a person and what he values. Because we, you're, like you mentioned earlier, we just don't see that much of him on page. But those kind of decisions really speak to me a lot. He makes an investment in her that, that truly pays off. It shows what how far loyalty goes. She can't stop thinking about him. She was probably in love with him, which, uh, you know, leave it to Brienne to fall in love with the gay guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, but, um, I mean, that was something that even in uh, season five, when early on, when Brienne starts talking about him again, it's like, oh, they're going to use the, uh, they're bringing up this. I think that was kind of the first hint that she was going to be the one to kill Stannis, which I personally even you can a lot, a lot of people say that I'm biased because I do like Stannis a lot, but uh, I, I thought that that killing was uh, a, a little foolish. Yeah. The, the grounds. I Nobody really, I don't I think it's probably uh, highly unlikely that he'll uh, that she'll be the one to kill him in the books and it's also unclear whose authority she had, but war war is a... Um, it's important in war to have uh, to to motivate your troops of taking classes where they've kind of explained the sort of in in the reality of war where you have to draft a lot of people who who don't want to fight and more importantly not only do they not want to fight they really don't want to be killed they don't want right. to run into battle and get killed by another person when at the end of the day you go into a battle with thousands of troops most of them are not going to enjoy the treasure that you get out of it so. It's it's really a lose lose. You um or or part of part of how people uh effectively uh motivate their troops is they present a lose lose. You either uh go and fight or if you try to run away, we'll kill you then. So this is like it's kind of a lesser of two evil thing. And when we have Renly, we have a guy who genuinely seems to like his little club. People think that his tourneys that he was throwing were kind of foolish. Uh I mean, maybe he does kind of present a strategy about it, though, in the sense that 
uh, he wanted the Starks and the Lannisters to kill each other while his troops were just kind of hanging out and having a good time. And they did seem to be having a pretty good time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I think that's one of his really, that's one of his strongest leadership skills is that he can inspire such devotion in the people around him. You know, um, he's, he's not wrong about the fact that he can do that and Stannis can't, you know, and it does kind of tie in to that whole theme that they pushed to, to kind of cringingly obvious, um, <laughs> lengths in season eight of the whole, the ruler who is feared versus the ruler who's loved. Right. Right. I think, I think in Stannis and Renly, you get a really, a really, nice cohesive look at that kind of dichotomy right and i i I think as a leader in this this world of westeros you really kind of need to be in some ways both but i i think it's really fascinating and renly's really the first person to whenever people talk about sort of uh when they try to war game the the war of the five kings and try to determine scenarios where rob stark could have won or Pretty much anybody. I mean, it, it could have been a jump ball for a lot of people. Probably not Balon Greyjoy. He probably wasn't going to win. But um, all roads go through House Tyrell. They right. are the... They have like 70 plus thousand troops. They dwarf everybody. And, you know, Rob, Rob has uh, a decent enough army. He's got northern troops. Um I always thought the Riverlands were kind of holding back on him a little bit, but they're also the area that's just totally getting destroyed and it's it's not defensible. Riverlands are there to be burned. That's kind of right. the painful reality of it. But Renly understands early on that, that House Tyrell is bigger than House Lannister. You know, Tywin is this feared guy because he's willing to go to extremes that seemingly nobody else is willing to go to. He kills children he burns people he has the shadiest uh minions he's got the mountain and our amory lorch and all of those other disgusting people uh so what i mean one thing i've really loved about the the fandom in the past couple of years is uh you know it, do not admire there will never be a tywin lannister episode unless it's just <laughs> an hour of shitting on him because he's he sucks but renly he's the worst <laughs> he is the worst renly's smart though i mean Stannis, the whole Stannis-Tyrell uh, situation is obviously exacerbated by the Siege of Storm's End, where uh, Mace and uh, Randall Tarly and uh, House Redwine are just hanging outside his outside the gate, just chilling, also having a great time there. I mean, they, from the looks of it, House Tyrell seems to be uh, having the most fun out of any of the houses. They're constantly <laughs> screwing around at, at Turney and uh, enjoying themselves, but Stannis hates them because while they were there, uh, everybody was inside the castle starving. And act, presumably Renly was all, he doesn't really talk about it, but presumably he was also in there starving. We don't really know where else he would have gone. Yeah. Oh, and there, there is that part too. Um, it's after the parlay where he's talking to Catelyn and, and, and they do talk a little bit about him be, remembering some of the siege and how they were going to, uh, Stannis was going to catapult the dead bodies off, you know, or whatever, uh, over the walls. And then they stopped him because they may need to eat the dead bodies. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> we still don't really know what happened to Donald Noy's arm. 
I mean, that's really <laughs> true. It's, uh, it's a tough. It's 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 a tough situation. But Renly can clearly forgive. He doesn't have uh, feelings of angst, and he also I he, he we 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 don't get to learn a lot of his inner thoughts with um how how he decided uh, to marry Marjorie Tyrell, who. I mean, she's she's queen, so she's clearly playing the Game of Thrones right. But uh, her two her two husbands are a gay man and a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine she's having uh, much fun herself, but uh, <laughs> maybe someday. That's, I I think that she she also kind of sees the long game, and a lot of the characters. I I feel like they give Renly this uh, this raw deal. There's a there's a line where Donald Noy says that, you know, Robert is the pure steel and and Stennis is iron. He's prone to, you know, showing his, his bitter he's uh prone to showing his edges. And then there's Renly who's copper and he's bright and shiny to look at. But there's not much to it. There's really two components to being a great uh a great leader in Westeros. There's the military aspect and then there's the political aspect. And we don't see a ton of the politics. We live in a monarchy system. But Renly's very good Renly is where he is due to his ability to play politics. Yeah, absolutely. Um and you know one of the things that really stuck out to me too when I was Going back to that Donald Noy quote is um, there's a moment in A Game of Thrones that kind of parallels it nicely to me. That's also something that it's also a conversation John has on the wall. It's when um, he's talking to Maester Eamon about the different links on a Maester's chain um, because they're talking about Sam and how Sam is never going to be a great warrior or a, you know, a, a great ranger or any of that. And, and he's talking about, um, let me find a quote real quick. He's, he says that, um, Lord, Lords are gold and knights steel, but two links can't make a chain. You also need silver and iron and lead tin and copper and bronze and all the rest. Um, a chain needs all sorts of metal and an, and a land needs all sorts of people. And a little bit later, he says, you can't hammer tin into iron, no matter how hard you beat it. But that doesn't mean tin is useless. And that's kind of what I go back to with with the Donald Noy quote that gets gets thrown around a lot to to kind of make fun of Renly, I think, even in the fandom, you know. Just because he isn't the great warrior, you know, that Robert was or the the military leader that Stannis is, you know, just because those aren't his qualities doesn't mean that he's worthless. And it doesn't mean that he would by necessity be a bad king. No. And uh, uh, most of Stannis's uh, character arc is really him kind of grappling with that notion to understand that he needs to be flexible. He can't be rigid. We're not used to, well, maybe not we specifically, the people of Westeros, the body Westeros, is not used to uh, having a king who, who's really supposed to grow and change on behalf of them. It's supposed to be, this is your king, and if it sucks, well, maybe maybe the king will get sick or queen and, and die, and then you can get a new one who will be better. Uh, but also, uh, equally possible is the idea that you won't get that, and uh, tough shit. 
And <laughs> for a lot of them, they don't really care. I mean, there's the small folk who kind of miss Ares the second. I think uh, obviously Ares the second was a terrible guy, but as it relates to the 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 people of Westeros, uh, he he probably. Uh, a lot of them probably didn't really care that he was all that horrible. Uh, most of them weren't personally affected by uh, the fact that he killed Rickard Stark. I mean, I, I honestly, it's hard for me to talk about Ares in a negative sense either, because I think his idea of using fire as his champion for trial by combat is like the funniest thing in the series. <laughs> it's a great loophole. <laughs> It's like if you if you've ever played rocks paper scissors with somebody and just like gone to one of the trick moves. It's like he did that. <laughs> he, he did that for real. Oh my gosh, that's, that's it exactly. <laughs> it's just like it, he. Um, but but Ga- Game of Thrones is a, is a story really about elites and the way that we interact with the various ones tends to reflect who we personally like and. I guess I, I I don't really I personally don't like super fit in like I'm not a big uh, I think really my two favorite characters are are, are are Stannis and Cersei and they're not particularly the nicest people but they're they're fun and uh, you know you bring up people you like and then people say well that person's probably I mean it's a book uh, it's a story they're not you know you're supposed to like them in spite of their flaws or their their terribleness but with Renly. I think a lot of times people see him through what the other characters see him, but this is a society that uh, is not progressive. Uh, we don't have any out gay characters, and it's also written by somebody who. Uh, there's a lot. I, I love pointing out to people uh, that uh, the Brotherhood without banners and the Night's Watch specifically. Uh, in both of those instances, there would have been naturally a lot of gay sex in both of those. Like, it's just true. It's it's true of of those kinds of scenarios. These people were not just like leaving to go wank behind a tree for a while. They totally would have done it. And they probably wouldn't have understood that to be really gay in the sense that we think of it as either. Right. Absolutely. And. Renly, an, another thing I really like about Renly is uh, he's got his, I don't know where he got, I, I, I've i tried to do a little bit of research into sort of, uh, West, they don't, books are, as with most books that exist in the pre-printing press era, uh, they're valuable and they're rare, and Renly's got a collection of dirty, he's got a collection of Westerosi pornos that he has. <laughs> He's a great guy. He spends all his money on clothes. I just look at him and I'm like, if I were if I were at court, that would be my best friend. I would love him. <laughs> He's like the the gay best friend of uh, of, of your dreams. And uh, clearly, the people did like him. Uh, yeah, Bran, Bran loved him. Uh, Loras loved him. Uh, Loras Loras swears an oath to another. Uh, to another king so that he doesn't need to uh, uh, get married to somebody, which I, I guess probably would have been somewhat uh, problematic for him because he doesn't. Uh, I would love a, a Laura's point of view chapter to kind of get a big, uh, get a glimpse of uh, what exactly his thought process was through a lot of that, because that's kind of one. The, the Loras Renly relationship in the books, I think, is is really different. And the show, which absolutely uh, is reflective of the times in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and I think also that's probably why we got to see so much more of of the two of them in in the show because they were able to do that. Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask you it's it's something that I've talked about with a uh, a lot of people and uh, calls calls for a bit of nuance. But since you're your name since you're Sam of the Rainbow Guard, um, one thing that I've always thought about the uh, so George R. R. Martin has denied that the Rainbow Guard is. Uh, a a uh, subtle gay reference, and sure. I've done a, I've done a lot of digging into when the rainbow flag was adopted as like seen as a uh, uh, gay symbol, and what I've what I've kind of found is that not only does uh, it's sort of official, not really official, but it's sort of uh, common affiliation with uh, gay rights goes back a long time. The rainbow being seen as like an effeminate gay kind of thing w- goes back even further. So you got this guy who's a a hippie. He's a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War, and we're supposed to believe that he doesn't that 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 he's not kind of aware of that. Not only him, but also every editor at his publisher. And I look at that, and I kind of bring up like he's denied it, and. I kind of call BS on that, but then when people do that, uh, when I say that, people then kind of go to, and, and they say, well, do you think he's a homophobe? And I'm like, no, I think he probably thought it was funny. And furthermore, I think it's pretty, yeah, I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> I yeah. do too. That's why I am Sam of the Rainbow Guard, okay? I think it's hilarious. I'm into it. Super gay. I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> it makes me, it really does kind of make me happy. Um, you know, I'm kind of the same way with it. I, I he says that, that it was not specifically about Renly's sexuality. I don't quite know how it couldn't be, but you know, maybe I guess. I think there are lots of really cool in-world reasons why Renly decided to to go with that. Um, you know, I think it was a smart political move on on one hand, because it is, you know, it's an appeal to the faith of the seven, right? Because, you know, the rainbows are a big part of their iconography. The the whole rainbows through the crystals, that's that's their whole thing, right? With the faith of the seven. And, you know, we've seen throughout, you know, right. Aswath and, and also Fire and Blood, you know, how much of a big difference it makes to have the faith backing you. So, I mean, I kind of see that as a deliberate, like, political maneuver on Renly's part to kind of gain some favor there. Um, and two, though, you know, they're in this time when the white cloak of the Kingsguard has come to mean little and less in, under it's Robert's true. rule, right? I mean, you used to have all of these great knights. You had Gerald Hightower and then you had you know, Sir Arthur Dane and all these legends. And now it's just kind of, you know, you have Jamie who has dishonored his cloak. You have Boros Blount and you've got Marin Train, all these, you know, just, just creeps. These guys you are just not great. You know, H- and so, Hound isn't even a knight. Yeah. And so, so the white cloak doesn't mean what it used to mean to people. And so, I think it's actually pretty brilliant then for Renly to turn around and say, okay, 
how do we spend this? I mean, as a person who is in marketing, Renly would be great <laughs> at my job. Okay, he knows when they need to rebrand. And that's what it is. It's a rebranding of this same order of knighthood. But it's also a way to say, like, look, I'm not going to tie myself to these traditional things just for the sake of tradition. Let's do something different. What I'm seeing isn't working. What can we do differently? And, you know, maybe it's a little thing, too. But as the white cloaks of the of the Kingsguard, there's that whole issue of it's a uniform, right? There's this idea of like a loss of identity of us all being the same, right? Whereas when you've got the Rainbow Guard, you've got Brienne in blue. You've got, you know, uh, Connington is in red, I think. You know, you've got all these different people, right? In all their different colors. And that just, you know, it does seem to say something symbolically about Renly and this kind of devotion to the individual and not just the the kind of uniform collective going along with the norm. And I think, like, on a symbolic level, that's really cool. I'm really into that. They're kind of, the colors, they're kind of like the Power Rangers. Oh my gosh, I so have that right in my notes about Power Rangers. That's <laughs> literally what I always think about, too. Every time I read it, I'm like, oh my god, it's the Power Rangers. I do, I do, uh, I do love my Power Rangers. Uh, yeah, it makes, it makes sense. I mean, Renly, Renly's not a guy who really wants to go to war. He doesn't fight any battles. He yeah. is slow walking the attack on King's Landing, I think probably because he doesn't want any blood on his hands. He has the, the largest army. He probably knows that his brother would be a, a shitty king or a shitty king for his intents and purposes. I mean, when Stannis yeah. gets to the wall, he's like, I would have kicked, uh, would have cleaned up, would have gotten rid of all the brothels. So Renly seems to like Littlefinger. He would kick Littlefinger out. He well, he would kill him probably. Uh, no more Varys. Uh, we don't really learn much about Renly and Varys. I assume they probably were on somewhat good terms, both uh, members of the LGBTQ community. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Renly. Renly doesn't want to uh, sully himself, and he probably wants a nicer Westeros. Maybe. Right. Um, and two, you know, one of the things Renly has going for him is that he has the love of the people. You know, there's that scene at the hands tourney in, in a Game of Thrones where he gets knocked off his horse and the crowd still goes crazy because they love him so much. And he's just waving at him and they just adore him. So if he comes up to King's Landing and he's the one attacking like Stannis is, you know, He's the bad guy. He loses that part of the of the support he has. Whereas if he does let Stannis and Rob and Cersei and Joffrey and all these people just kind of go at it and 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 do whatever they're going to do. And then he can sweep in and be the hero later. You know, that's just going to reinforce that love. So that seems to to make some sense. Right. Yeah. And also the fact that. That Joffrey, uh, he's not liked by any of the readers or the viewers, certainly, but he's a child. Uh, he's not missed in the books either, but um, he's a child. Right. Uh, no, nobody really knows. Nobody knows what to think about. We don't No, There's not some like big thing where all the townsfolk are gathered for a State of the Union address where they explain that all of Robert's bastards have black hair 
and that these guys are blonde. Therefore, they're you know we don't have twenty three and me. There's no <laughs> DNA. There's no DNA test. But these kids are illegitimate. If Renly were to establish power in Westeros, that would probably mean he would have to kill uh, three children, who two of whom really didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. One of whom is just kind of a brat, but uh, also, I, I mean, I, I have no love, love for Joffrey, but uh, uh, his parenting, say, I feel some sympathy for him. He didn't really have much of a chance, I don't think. Yeah, I totally agree. So Renly, Renly kind of, he, he, he seems like he's a smarter politician than most cats. Catelyn seems to like him in a, in a lot of ways. There's a reason that she's uh, way more affiliated with his camp than Stannis. I think she can acknowledge also that it's a lot more fun. Uh, I think Rob was probably uh, a little foolish to not try and broker some kind of deal with him just because of the simple fact that he had House Tyrell. I don't really know this whole I'm Lord of the... I mean, even the sh- I mean, the show... The show kind of downplayed the fact that Rob was uh, king of the North and the Riverlands, although most of it, all of his campaign took place in the Riverlands. But uh, the show certainly ends with Sansa is not queen of both. She's only queen of one. You got to think that some of the uh, some of the people in the Riverlands felt a little screwed by that outcome, especially because Edmer was portrayed as uh, essentially a bit of a loser. Although I really like that actor whose name I'm uh, uh, Tobias Menzies. Um, he was one of the uh, high points in The Crown. And he was also an yeah. Outlander. Which, yeah, uh, he's great. He is great. Uh, but they, they brought him back only to kind of look like a, uh, just a complete clown. Uh, I know. And I, what I, a shame. What a shame. Because Edmure is such a, such a good character in the books. He has that he, moment. Uh where my people, they were frightened. And I'm like, oh, you're a good guy. <laughs> yeah, he's always trying to do well. And that's just kind of getting in the way of, uh, I mean, he, he he tries to do good things. And then it turns out that uh, what he was doing was the wrong thing. But uh, like like pursuing Tywin and not luring him into a trap. How could he have known that? The communication. Right. Rob Stark's communication skills were a little lacking. And that actually <laughs> applies that applies to Renly. I think Renly probably would have... Renly was open to having a good deal. It was kind of a pissing contest between the two uh, that that maybe maybe not... I mean, I don't really blame Renly. I wouldn't have wanted to break up the, the, the Seven Kingdoms. Uh, Rob, it kind of remains to be seen. So when Renly... The first time that we see Renly... Well, we see Renly a couple times uh, before he has his chat with... Uh, uh, Edard about uh, what they're going to do about uh, the uh, about the uh, monarchy, given that Ned's about to make the dumbest decision of his career and and try and uh, take the children under. He's trying to uh, usurp the Lannisters with basically no guards of his own. He trusts Littlefinger, and that's a huge stupid idea. And he gets himself killed over it. But Renly. Uh, Renly tries to make a deal with Eddard, and Eddard just kind of looks at him and is like, no, I'm not going to do this. For reasons of nobility that really are kind of foolish. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, it's, it just doesn't, it, it, if I were him, I would have, I, I wish that Renly could have just said, look, dude, 
What what is your plan after this? Renly knows better than Ned that Littlefinger is probably not the greatest guy in the world to trust. He doesn't uh he he's not he's not filled with love for Littlefinger when he's hanging out on Storm's End waiting for um waiting to attack. And actually speaking of Storm's End, I I, I think it is kind of worth noting to talk a little bit about the fact that Robert gave Renly a young Renly, a Renly who also, uh, from a, a visual standpoint, looks a lot like a Robert uh, before he, uh, you know, got past his prime after the war. But Robert gives Renly Storm's End and gives Stannis the much smaller, much rockier, less appealing Dragonstone. That's always been a, kind of a fascinating moment for me. Just and And it's so so vitally important to Stannis's arc and his character and how he gets to the point that he's at when we meet him in, in clash, you know, he is so done with everyone. And so much of it goes back to Robert giving storms into Renly, you know, that is such a pain point for him um, that in a lot of ways, that act of giving Renly Storm's End kind of kind of destroys any chance Stannis and Renly ever had of really, really being at peace with each other, I think. You know, because there is just so much bitterness and animosity that was sown in that moment by that act from Robert to, you know, to spite him. That, you know, I think he definitely seems to kind of take that out on Renly. And Renly, you know, Renly's a little shit, right? And he's, you know, teasing him with the peach and all this stuff. But, you know, he didn't, like, demand Storm's End. You know, he didn't do that. And so much of, so much of Stannis seems to be just that reaction to the, the approval and the recognition and the love he never got from robert and it's it's interesting because renly and stannis would have spent a lot of time together in king's landing renly was the master of laws and stannis was the master of ships which i mean is 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 kind of one of those jobs it, it seems as though stannis and john aaron to a lesser extent did most of the governing where uh we we don't we don't really learn about Renly's legislative achievements as the master of law. <laughs> he doesn't appear to have uh, much of a much of a uh, love for for laws. He doesn't. <laughs> he, in fact, he really just doesn't seem to care. Um, and he's he's shown to uh, other characters say that he didn't really do much on the small council. Uh, they do note that he spent more money on his wardrobe than uh, half the women at court. Uh, I would have loved to have seen his Met Gala outfit. I'm sure that would have been a pretty good one. Yes. <laughs> it's a frustrating dynamic. I mean, I would love a prequel. Uh, I mean, I, I guess you'd have to like really center it around like the Greyjoy Rebellion because uh, not a heck of a lot goes on between uh, the end of the end of Robert's Rebellion and then the events of the franchise uh, series. The whole franchise is, encompasses all of the events, but uh, we, we <laughs> the Greyjoy Rebellion is really the only point where uh, it, it seems that they kind of uh, mobilize and 
there's all that time where the characters are are at court not apparently doing that much that warrants mentioning by anybody else and yet at the same time uh it's kind of this this open question of of what they all were doing and specifically kind of what how the rest of them tolerated having this this curmudgeon guy named Stannis uh whining at them the whole time in uh I I certainly think that Rain Waters would have been a more well-liked master of ships these uh the titles do seem kind of arbitrary there's that one scene in the show where Oberyn Martell because House Martell's been promised a seat on the high council small, small council uh, where Oberyn, Oberyn Martell comes there and he's like, what am I? Am I the master of uh, coin or whatever? And then somebody else, I think it's Mace Tyrell, interrupts him. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you're right. We don't see Renly doing a lot of the ruling. And, and he probably doesn't do a lot of the ruling, which is kind of interesting. Um, but he is getting, there is an element of he's getting that experience. He's seeing how a king can run the kingdom into the ground in some ways. I mean, you know, you see him clearly understanding that Robert is terrible with the kingdom's money. You know, he seems to be totally aware that that's, not great. There's just nothing you can do because it's Robert and he's going to do what he wants. And so he's not necessarily standing up against those decisions. But, but, but I do think it's interesting that, you know, he is getting that kind of exposure and kind of learning what, what, what not to do as a king in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, because he, he, he has really a front row seat to his, his own brother's decline Robert is this guy who any good thing that's said about Robert is said in the past tense. Yeah. By the time of the series, he's a loser and he has nothing to do. In fact, there's that famous scene uh, in the show, which I don't think is, I I don't know. I don't know why I say famous. I don't think it's famous at all, actually, but um, I don't think it's in the books where uh, Robert is uh, talking about their old battles and stuff. Uh, with Ned and and Barristan, and then he calls uh, he calls Jamie in, and Jamie's kind of doesn't really want any part of it. But he's like Kingslayer, what was your big battle or something? They're all kind of having a pissing contest. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Robert Baratheon is like the 45 year old still talking about his high school football victories, right? Exactly. I mean, yes. he's that guy who just can't get over his glory days. And really hasn't done a lot since. Yeah, except instead of like the local diner where they've still got his picture <laughs> up, it's like he's got the he's got the whole realm. And <laughs> he's so oblivious. I mean, I mean, I guess probably we're we're not really we don't in the history of the monarch uh, of the realm of the crown. We don't get like a, there's not a ton of these marriages that were super duper happy, and certainly that also pertains series but um i mean maybe he just doesn't care he kind of thinks that's the way it is and he's got all of his uh he's got all of his women that he sleeps with and has uh people like edric storm and uh and gendry with so maybe he doesn't care but there's also like something something deeply sad about it that if you're like the 
I mean, younger siblings are supposed to kind of look up to the older sibling. Not supposed to, but I mean, it happens a lot. I, I'm my, my only sibling is ten years younger than me, so um, I don't experience that. Uh, she has said at times she looks. Up, I don't. It's hard for me to talk about that from a and not sound like a douche. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, if you if you imagine what what Renly what Renly says what. Renly must. I mean, you've got Stannis, who's in in a lot of ways kind of a stereotypical middle child. He's yes. he's kind of uh, envious of Robert. He's a stickler for rules. He he was probably. I mean, it, the their parents died young, but you can imagine him probably being a bit of a tattletale. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then Renly is, you know, uh, a lot of people. Their youngest child gets things that the others don't get. They uh they get social privileges and Robert certainly does that with Renly. Um so it must have been hard for Renly to go through that kind of uh that kind of scenario where he watches this once great guy just fall apart and then uh get tricked into getting killed by a boar. Yeah, and you know, he touched on something really fascinating with Renly that I don't think we talk about very much. It's in that Robert really was closer to a parent to him in some ways than an older brother, which, you know, in as much as Robert is a parent to anybody, you know, he, he, it sounds like he basically treated Renly as a kid the same way he treats his, you know, his, his bastard kids that he, that he very much seems to enjoy, you know, I mean, he likes to go show up and give Edric Storms a presence and then not have to deal with him for a year or two, right? I mean, and so you can kind of see that in the the relationship between Robert and Renly kind of play out too, you know? He gives them Storm's End, and so Renly's happy, and Renly likes him, and then he just doesn't have to deal with him for a while. Um, because, you know, there's a really big age difference between Robert and, you know, you've got Robert and Stannis over here who are pretty close to the same age. You know, Renly's only 21, right? In the... It, I think when he he goes for the throne, so yeah, he's a young. solid, he's a solid like fifteen ish years younger than Robert. So so that really is a, a an interesting dynamic because you do have the looking up to older brother thing too, but you've also got you know his parents died when he was still quite young, and you know obviously I'm not saying Robert was around and Robert did a great job raising him or anything like that, but I I think there's that kind of mixture of the older brother and the parent role in that. And so that, and, and, and in, in, in light of that, watching Robert decline would probably be even harder, you know? Yeah. And, and we don't learn all that much about Renly's childhood. We do know that Maester Cresson is, is very fatherly towards Stannis, which, in some ways has to reflect the idea that Stannis needed him and that Renly probably didn't. Maybe yeah. Crescent just thought Renly was a little shit. Uh, it's interesting how many of the characters seem to kind of acknowledge that he was, uh, that he was g- gay. And yet, I mean, we don't, we don't, it, it would be, it'd be great to see how that was kind of reflected in the, the politics of uh, King's Landing because 
Uh, Westeros is is not really a very woke place, uh, right. and yet, I mean, it, it, it's not like they're they're killing people for being gay, but that's not really something that's championed or celebrated. It's uh, yeah, I I keep thinking of uh, the great uh, love that Thoros and Beric had for each other. That I I don't know. I mean, it could be brotherly. It could be uh, you know, a different kind of love, but um. I think of those kind of things. I'm like, well, how intolerant could Westeros be? And why would they be intolerant when there's just all these like great relationships between Renly and Loras and these other people that I I would personally love for them to explore. uh, Hoping for that kind of stuff in big media is uh, kind of a kind of a shame. At least HBO didn't uh, doesn't, you know, have these little representation snippets that can be edited out. Cough, cough, Rise of Skywalker. Right. I was going to I was going to do a podcast on that. I was just like, ah, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, at some point you just get tired, right? That's how I feel when I think about Rise of Skywalker or, you know, that little moment at the begin at the beginning of, you know, Avengers Endgame or whatever. No, oh, those little fate, those uh, little oh, I did write an representation moments. I'm like, okay, just the I just don't have energy for you right now. <laughs> yeah. I did write an article on Joe Russo. I just slammed him and was like, <laughs> oh, you, you want to, you want an award? You want you want to be praised for this? I mean, that was something that JJ uh, Abrams and to a lesser extent, Daisy Ridley were also like, Oh great. We've got our representation, but yeah. Um, one of the beauty, I mean, a song of ice and fire, you could do podcast episodes on like basically anybody and do a substantive discussion. And when it comes to Renly, I mean, gay people are kind of, and members of the LGBT, I use gay kind of synonymous, but I mean, some people, some people don't, but I, I just always have, because I'm not, uh, I, I, just acknowledging my, uh, the, um, not everybody does that, but I do. Um, when, when you're looking for representation, it can be hard to, um, you know, if you if you want to just try and uh, if you're there for representation, you're often going to be disappointed because it's just kind of the way that these things are built. But in Renly, we have this character who's who's so nuanced and complex, and there's so many ways to think about him that uh, that are really special. He's a very special character. Yeah, I totally agree, and you know. I'm I'm not saying the representation in Game of Thrones is is fantastic cuz because it wasn't necessarily and there were definitely some some choices that I look at kind of like okay sure that's what we're doing but you know Renly in the show particularly he was a really special character for me for someone who is you know I've loved fantasy my whole life. That has been like my go-to genre. Um, And I'd never really seen myself reflected in any kind of mainstream story like that. And, you know, being able to look at that and have a character who is complex, who has, you know, these desires and aspirations that, you know, don't have any, that aren't about his gayness. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It was just so, it was really, you know, it really moved me a lot. 
and, and that's probably why I still love the character so much. I mean, I just seeing those kind of nuanced portrayals is just, it's important, you know, and I think that's something people don't really take into consideration when they uh, just like to go after Renly because of, you know, oh, this political decision and that military decision and, you know, all of these things. I mean, I think there's, I think there's an aspect of him that kind of surpasses that in some way to me, you know, I yeah, didn't say that half as well as I meant to. <laughs> oh, no, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I like it when we have, um, flawed gay characters who are, are, are flawed for reasons other than like directly, uh, yeah, there's often like a, a transgender trope of a, a trans woman who's like vengeful. Uh, ba- ba- the Batgirl comics got in trouble for that, uh, just like using transitioning as as this sort of uh, vengeance plot, and uh, it was it was ugly, and they they actually yeah. I think apologized for it. But um, uh, Downton Abbey is another big uh, fandom that I've been a part of, and uh, they have a gay character Thomas Barrow who. For most of the show, is the villain, but he's also this really lovable guy, and he's not a vi- he's not a villain because he's gay. He's villain. He's a villain because he's a dick. Um, right. Renly is uh, Renly's a selfish guy. I think we should. Yeah. Uh, I think we can all admit that. And he's not selfish because he's gay. He's selfish because he he takes a throne or he screws his brother over. <laughs> yeah, and you know. <laughs> Exactly. I think when we talk about representation, there's this kind of idea that, like, when we say we want to see good representation of LGBT characters, that we want to see, like, these saintly LGBT characters. And for me, yeah. that's not it at all. I just want to see somebody real that, like, yeah, maybe they're a dick sometimes, but, like, everybody's a dick sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that, you know, they have these flaws, because that you know, that makes them realistic. That makes them like fully, fully realized characters and well-rounded characters a lot of times. So I, I, I re- go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your point. No, I think that was the end of it. You're good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, um, I, I, what I, what I like also about Renly is that, um, you know, a, a lot of times when, especially if you read uh, academic papers on, on queer studies that, that are essentially uh, kind of grasping at straws, uh, trying to make representation up in the absence of it. Renly's a character who his his sexuality does kind of uh, help us to understand some of the methodology behind his his actions and his motives it's a lot easier to understand why he decided he was going to be king when you understand that renly uh renly knows that uh, because of who he is he has he has to play by a separate set of rules the the modern uh, the rules of westeros uh don't don't serve him well he, you know, just just by the basic marital rules, he's married to a woman that he's has absolutely no interest in. He's more interested in her brother. And that's, you know, he has to play by the rules of marrying her, but 
he's got his own he's you know he's he's got loris and he's got his his dirty magazines to keep him busy <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i mean i i I think I see a lot of these interpretation of Renly that paint him as he, as his airhead. He's not an airhead. He's actually probably one of the smartest politicians in the series. He understands people better than I mean, Rob is also a pretty good politician, but um, he understands charisma. Charisma's this, you know. There's a reason if you're playing like uh, Fallout or any of those RPGs, they have charisma points that you can yeah. give your characters that are as important as strength. You know, Renly, Renly understands that um, moments in the battlefield are fleeting. I mean, people like Barristan or Jamie or Robert, uh, they can build... Rep- I mean, everybody acknowledges that Stannis is a seasoned warrior, even if he's just... Uh, nobody wants him for their king. Renly, Renly knows that, Renly knows that uh, better than anybody. Stannis, you know, you're a great guy and stuff, but... Nobody in the realm liked your stupid letter. You suck. Yeah. That's what Renly is able to tell him. And I, I just, I really appreciate that. And I, I, I think that uh, a lot of people who try to understand Renly kind of miss the point that he's a three-dimensional character who's so much more than, uh, you know, a plot device to keep Stannis away from taking the throne, which, I mean, essentially the function. Yeah. And another thing that, you know, the fandom in general is pretty good about, but that, that I don't really get see get applied to discussions of Renly, is that we really only see Renly, for the most part, from the point of view of people who are not on his side, right? Right, that's I mean, a great point. Like, with Stannis, we've got Davos. I mean, he's the biggest hype guy there is. Worships so him he, as a god. Yes. I mean, so, yeah, we see some, we see Stannis's flaws, but we also see them colored through Davos's point of view. And, you know, several of these other characters that we, that we kind of really think about the nuance of those characters, it's because we are looking at them through someone else's point of view and we are stopping to think, okay, but what is the agenda of this point of view, right? With Renly, I don't usually see that level of nuance go into the discussions about him and whose eyes we're seeing him through. You know, we see him through Catelyn's eyes is where we see him probably the most just um, in in her time in his camp, you know. Um, And she doesn't hate him. She doesn't think he's a bad person, but she, you know she looks down on him a lot, you know, they're the nights of summer and all of this stuff. And, and she's not wrong. I'm not saying Catelyn is incorrect, but I am saying that she's coming at this from someone whose son is also vying for part of this crown, you know? And I think, I mean, she, she's in a position too of, of similar, like shaky footing. I mean, that whole, the, the whole passage way, Rob, Rob becomes king basically because a bunch of people were uh, angry in a meeting. They're like, we don't want Stannis. Here's Rob as our, I mean, if if Rob had ended that meeting prematurely because he had to go to the bathroom or something, (laughs) he he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been king. And that's like, it's, it's true. And, you know, she calls, uh, she calls them both lords and, 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 and tries to point out the fact that, uh, 
Rob is king, but the whole story of the Starks is really kind of trying to do damage control one blunder after another. I mean, they, they, there's only really a, a small moment in a clash of Kings where Rob is really doing great. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's reactionary. And I mean, that's the value of point of view characters in George R. R. Martin's narrative. When people would ask me years ago, you know, what's the big difference between the books and the show? I mean, that you, you, we could do 10 podcast episodes on, on that subject, but the biggest sure. difference is that each of these scenes is, is, is shown through the eyes of a specific person. And that's not to say that, uh, uh, like unreliable narrators uh, is the big takeaway. Although there's the famous, the unkiss between uh, uh, Sansa and the Hound. But yeah. um, we engage with these characters through the way that other people uh, perceive them. That, I mean, that could really be why they screwed up Dorne so badly, but that's a, you know, you could go about a hundred <laughs> different ways with that. That's a podcast in and of itself right there. Dorn, the door went wrong. Yeah. Everything. Everything went wrong. <laughs> for uh for poor Dorn. And but I mean on the flip side, the show was able to uh from from more of a um I guess for lack of a better term, well a more of an omniscient perspective. That's about to say objective, but it's not the role of a fictional narrative to be objective. You right. show people who are or good or bad, but more of an om- uh, omniscient. You have Renly in more of his own skin, I guess. Yeah. Would be he's more um, we, although more of his own skin, literally, because we get a couple <laughs> sex scenes. Uh, <laughs> but um, we see more of him as 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 himself, and I, I, I like him a lot. If if the big the big uh, people would always say like, because I I. For years was known for the it used to be on my Twitter bio, the Stan with Stannis hashtag. Sadly re- doesn't fit until Twitter extends the characters. Uh <laughs> oh, you could just say that's where my if you if you go like I I for years was this champion uh of Stannis, and I think in a lot of ways in my pre-transition years, I I saw I, I saw comfort in the way that Stannis saw the world as this sort of rigid yet uh rigid sense of morality that also kind of called for accepting that reality isn't always the way you want it to be i've always loved his northern conquests uh his northern ambitions we did a podcast episode with uh, jim mcgeehan of wars and politics of ice and fire on that subject and i'll always have a soft spot for stannis but um i i I think when as i transitioned i i started to kind of uh sympathize with the fact that all of these characters approach the world uh through their own lenses and they they they're not looking at like the code of good you know stannis is a very like ayn randian character and that's not really a, a compliment that's not right. a compliment at all, at all. <laughs> uh, you can have your uh rigid morality all you want but you have to go live in in reality it's it's i mean we we see that reflected in our own our own politics, these so-called, uh, you know, so-called conservatives who uh, blow holes in the deficit and, you know, they don't really care uh, not to not to get into politics, but we'll <laughs> save that for when we have a politician on. Um, it's just it's there's just he, I love this is a long winded way of saying uh, 
as I've as I've grown, I love Renly more and more. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating. Just um, the way your perspective on Stannis has kind of evolved o- over the over your transition. That's really really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Surprise, surprise. The more the more estrogen I, I had, the, le- the less I was found Stannis appealing. <laughs> and you know what? You know what, though? Listen, <laughs> since I've transitioned, started transitioning, I've really come to like Stannis more and more. Perfect. <laughs> the more testosterone I have. <laughs> oh, that's the key, it turns out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I we, well, that that's good to know actually because we we I committed to doing ten episodes of 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 uh, on Stannis. We only did two, and I've I've wanted to do an LGBTQ Stannis episode. Yes, no, nobody has ever done that. Nobody's nobody's tried to do it. Nobody I think has thought to do it, but me. Um, I want to do it. Uh, it, I mean, I. When you engage, I mean, I always, this is a question that uh, I, I talk about a lot um, in, in, in writing or, or just with, with people is sort of what is the LGBTQ community? Because it's, it's really whatever you could, could want it to be. Because we're not like gay, gay people don't all know each other. That's not, <laughs> I mean, people can assume that. But although, although I, I call the trans degree of separation, like it's six degrees minus like four. I mean, you can connect yourself <laughs> pretty much any other transgender person by like one, one other, one other per- person. That's uh, so true. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I, I guess the, the way that I see it is, um, human connection is, is often, uh, you, the base root is some degree of commonality. Your friend, you don't just, befriend people on the street although you know you're friends with your neighbors you're friends with your co-workers you're friends with people who share interests as you go to conventions as you uh with you um you, you find community that way so for the lgbtq community we all have that one thing in common as a sort of a base route so in a lot of ways we get kind of like a head start to to befriend each other uh in that regard you know, versus just some some person you have you who you have absolutely nothing in common with. So there's there's kind of that. And when when I have I, when when I approach um, gay characters, I, I I approach them through the lens of yeah, we have this kind of shared thing in common, even if I don't like them, and oftentimes I don't. Uh, I still something that uh, I'm doing a rewatch of the L word, and I hate almost all the characters, and uh, <laughs> something I've been thinking about a lot, but. Um, you, 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 you have a, a lens to understand them, uh, that other people may not. It's, it's why in yeah. writing and all of that, it's, it's the value of representation. People, yeah. we, you, you understand things that, that, uh, cis, cis straight white men just wouldn't understand. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so, you know, whether, whether Renly, Renly is not a perfect guy. I think we uh, would both do that. Would both say that, and yet he's a fascinating guy. I love Renly. I do too. I really do. You uh, any uh, any any closing thoughts on our on our dear friend? I'm sure we could talk for hours, hours and hours more about him. But uh, I think we covered a lot of ground here. We did. We did. Here's my one closing thought, though. Okay. Uh, so yesterday. My roommate came home with a box of tea from the grocery and the tea was called 
country peach passion herbal tea. And I laughed about it for 20 minutes, just imagining Renly sitting, you know, in his campground drinking country peach passion herbal tea. <laughs> so there you go. There's my parting shot. Yeah, Renly, Renly <laughs> understands the value uh, of a peach, which is you, you have to you have to seize the moment. Life, life is too short. That's something that um, anybody who's come out of the closet or, or transitioned or anything like that understands. Yes, it's, it's easier in a lot of ways to uh, go with the, you know, to, to, to conform, to not come out and to to live life as the world as as you know the vast majority of the world would would rather have you live and yet life is too short you know you you have to experience things as they come because there may come a day when uh when they're gone and w- it it would be a shame to have not tried that peach when you had the chance yeah. to do it it would be a shame not to live your life uh you know not to get uh fatalistic but there'll come a day when we all die and we none of us want to be on our deathbed thinking uh Shit, you know, I've been stabbed by a boar and there's all this stuff that I haven't done. Yeah, absolutely. So Renly, Renly's an inspiration. If you have a chance to be king or queen or, um, you know, whatever title you would prefer, I don't know, the non-binary version of king or queen, um, you could, uh, you know, if you have that chance, even if your older sibling has a better shot, but you really want it, I say go for it. Do it. Although... Probably only if you dislike your older sibling. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, uh, you know, opportunities come. You, you have to make your own opportunities a lot of time. The world doesn't come knocking sometimes. Sometimes you got to kick down the door and say, I have House Tyrell. I have 70,000 troops. Guess who's king now? <laughs> I am. That's, that's right. That's Ren- Renly in a nutshell. And what a, what a, what a great guy. Uh, Sam, do you want to tell us where we can find you? Uh, Twitter? Anything yeah. Else you yeah, absolutely. Um, my Twitter handle is just at the rainbow guard. Come talk to me there. I always want to talk about LGBT characters and themes in, in, in game of Thrones and anything else you want to talk about. Um, and I'm also starting a blog soon. So watch out for the, for my Twitter for that. We'll, uh, we'll link to your, uh, Twitter. And uh, to everybody listening, it's it's good to be back. I uh, forgot how much I loved podcasting in the uh, in the break, but uh, we'll do more of these, and we'll definitely do a gay tennis episode because nobody has ever thought of that. And uh, now I'm gonna like race race to get that done before anybody else can take my wonderful idea. So for everybody, uh, big thanks to Sam for coming on, and to everybody listening. Oh, I just I queued it up. I was gonna. I always I always. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. But I'd already said that, so I'm just going to say it again. Goodbye. Thank you so much.